It's the Chronicles of Aguna, and we are back. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As always, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and this was supposed to be uh, a Q&A session. It is still going to be a Q&A session, but there is some breaking news at the time of recording that we need to address first. So as well as quickly rounding up some of the reports during the rounds today with regards to, yes, You've guessed it, more players that Arsenal are being linked with in the transfer market. We're going to discuss this breaking news. And then, of course, we're going to move on to answering your questions. I've got lots of questions uh, from some of you on Twitter, from some of you on the YouTube channel. Uh, If you want to drop them in the live chat, you can also do that as well. Um, But first, let's address the big breaking story this afternoon. And I think we all knew it was coming, but it's finally been announced. It's finally out in the open. And that breaking news is that Kieran Tierney has signed a new long-term contract with the Arsenal. It's fantastic news. Kieran Tierney hasn't even been at the club very long, but he's already established himself as a as a fan favourite. He's already proven himself to be a top, top quality fullback. I think you saw the difference uh, in Scotland even, you know, from their first game of the Euros in comparison to their second game against England when Kieran Tierney was back in the side. Lots of people want him to be made captain in the future. And I think that is a real, real possibility. My only slight concern about Kieran Tierney, and I'm not trying to put a downer on the news at all, because it is good news, is his injury record. And, and that is a problem, right? He's had some serious injuries in his career today. I do worry a little bit about that. Um, but, you know, he's a top quality player. And, and I think Arsenal are right to make the decision to tie him down to a long-term contract to protect him as an asset and um and to show the club that you know we he means a lot to us and how much we value him and i think he's really really appreciative of the support that he's had since coming to arsenal he spoke a lot about that in the exclusive interview that he gave uh to arsenal.com earlier on today which i watched uh big shout out to frimpong as well who's doing a brilliant job hosting Uh, those bits of content. So big shout out to him as well. Um, Let's quickly go over to the Arsenal website and have a quick look uh, at their announcement of the deal. Of course, uh, it was announced during that video that I've just mentioned, but Arsenal lead uh, with the headline or with the, yeah, the headline here to stay, Tierney signs long-term deal. He says, uh, since joining us from Celtic in the summer of 2019, Scotland International has impressed with his consistently high-quality performances, making 62 appearances and becoming an integral part of the team. He's 24 years old, and we believe this deal is a five-year deal that will keep him at the club until 2026. It talks about his role uh, in helping Arsenal lift the FA Cup last season uh, and the fact that he helped set up the winning goal in the semi-final before starring again in the final win over Chelsea. Uh, Some quotes from Edu and from Mikel Arteta. Edu had this to say, we're so pleased to have agreed a new long-term deal with Kieran. Anyone who has seen him play 
recognise very quickly that he's a player of huge ability. But I can tell you that he's also a player with a fantastic attitude and mentality. Kieran's new contract is not just about the present and next season. It's with a long-term vision and Kieran being an integral part of the future of the club. Mikel Arteta said, this is great news for us today as manager of the club. Speaking on behalf of the coaching staff and the entire staff, it's a pleasure to work with KT. His quality, energy, commitment and professionalism, not only on match days, but every day in training, are always at such a high level. He gives us so much extra strength, both defensively and offensively. And it's great to know he'll be with us for the long term. Since his move from Celtic, his work ethic and quality has ensured that he's already one of the most exciting players in the Premier League and a hugely important part of our team, both on and off the pitch. I know all the fans will join me, the players and staff, in looking forward to seeing KT playing in an Arsenal shirt for a few more years. So Mikel Arteta and Edu, uh, the club's technical director, highly complimentary of Kieran Tierney and obviously delighted to have secured his future. As I say, I'm delighted too. I absolutely love Kieran Tierney when he's fit and he's available. I'm not sure there's a better left back in the Premier League. I'll go as far as saying that. But um, obviously that that concern around his fitness is, is one that, you know, still needs addressing for me. He's still going to have to, you know, go a, a relatively long period of time, sort of injury-free before kind of my view on that will change. I hope it does. Um, we talked a lot earlier on in the kind of week and, and earlier on this month about the positions that Arsenal need to strengthen in. And I think when we talk about the left-back position, I'm, I'm writing saying that most people feel that we need a left-back to support Kieran Tierney rather than necessarily to replace him um, or to compete with him even for that number one left-back spot. That number one left-back spot is Kieran Tierney's. Obviously, competition is healthy, but anyone that is brought in in that position will be coming in, I think, uh, knowing that they're going to play second fiddle to Kieran Tierney. That's, that's just the way it is. In other news today, because there's a couple of other bits that I just want to touch on before we go into the Q&A session, and I think we're going to do these Q&As every Friday. I think that's, that's a, a good way to go. Um, unless there's any really pressing business, I think we'll do that because a lot of you sort of DM me on Twitter and comment on YouTube asking me to do the Q&A shows. And I always find that Friday's a little bit light on content, particularly when there's no football. There's nothing to preview. There's nothing to look ahead to at the weekend. Uh, but just a couple of reports I wanted to bring to your attention. Now, of course, with the prospected arrival of Ben White. There's been a lot of talk about William Saliba's future and there's been a lot of talk about Rob Holding's future. Now, the Mirror say that Rob Holding could be sold this summer, but Chris Wheatley says Rob Holding is staying put. He says he's considered by the manager as part of the to be part of the leadership group uh, and so it's unlikely he'll be going anywhere. So, Depends what you want to believe on that. I would lean towards Chris Wheatley when it comes to Arsenal bits um, over the mirror any day of the week. So there you go. Looks like Rob Holding is staying put. There was another report that came out today uh, from 90 Min, and I'll just bring your attention to this one uh, with regards to Arsenal allegedly uh, monitoring the situation around Renato Sanchez, the Lille midfielder who's played quite well at the European Championships. Uh, you know, if you remember him, was on loan to Swansea, had a bit of time there, didn't really work out after a big move to Bayern Munich at a very young age. Um, but Renato Sanchez really impressed 
uh, in Liga and last season, helped Lille to end the decade-long wait for a league title. But as I say, has also impressed uh, in the middle of the park for Portugal at this summer's championships. So um, it looks like Arsenal are keeping tabs on him as they look to improve that midfield area. Now, of course, uh, Lille made a 25 million euro investment in Sanchez and they'll be looking to make a profit on that, which I'm sure they would if he was to join a bigger club. Uh, but well-placed sources close to the player have told 90 men that he is now ready to prove himself in the Premier League. He has unfinished business in England after a loan spell with a poor Swansea side in 2017-18 and in which he made just 12 appearances, having already struggled to establish himself at Bayern. Uh, Liverpool are also rumoured to have an interest in the player as well, uh, but it looks like Arsenal have informed Lille to keep them posted of any developments with regards to Renato Sanchez's future. Uh, they also have us linked with a Pedro Gonçalves, uh, the man who has replaced Bruno Fernandes since he joined Manchester United at Sporting Lisbon. Uh, so Arsenal are supposedly keeping a close eye on him as well. So these are reports uh, making their way into the public domain today. A um, couple of other bits I just wanted to, to bring you up to date on. William Saliba has been selected by France to represent them at the Olympic Games. You know, what does that mean for his preseason? It means he isn't really going to have a preseason, doesn't it? And the fact that Arsenal are allowing him to go to the Olympics, or seemingly anyway at the time of recording, makes you think that contrary to them telling everybody that he's going to be given a chance in preseason, that actually they're not that fussed about what William Saliba does. And and I talked about this at length on on one of yesterday's podcasts. And, you know, we got quite deep into it. And I, you know, when I watched it back or when I listened to it back this morning, when I was uh, sort of getting on with some work, I kind of felt like I came across a little bit angrily and a little bit ranty. But the reason for that is because I just, I, I'm sick and tired of hearing people tell me that William Saliba is the second coming of Paolo Maldini. You know, maybe he has potential, but if he's not the right fit for Arsenal, then he's not the right fit. It's as simple as that. And you cannot have your manager bent over a barrel and forced to play players that he doesn't think are the right players just because the previous regime invested a substantial amount of money in him. That's how I see it. I'd like William Saliba to come back to Arsenal and to succeed. But if that isn't going to happen, it isn't going to happen. And, and I'm not going to lose sleep over it. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this um, being about, you know, Mikel Arteta not rating him at the same level of some of our other options. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that William Saliba is being overlooked by Mikel Arteta for footballing reasons. I think this is to do with the character, to do with the person, to do with what went on before. And I've said it, for, you know, throughout the course of last season when we were talking about how Saliba was getting on at Nice and we kept talking about him maybe coming back, etc., etc. Um, I kept saying that I wonder, I really do wonder what kind of impact all of that that went on last summer would have on his relationship with Mikel Arteta and if that relationship was repairable and it's looking like it probably isn't. So brace yourselves. I'm not saying he's definitely going to leave, but brace yourselves for the, the possibility that William Saliba is not part of Arsenal's first team squad next season because it's looking increasingly unlikely. And if he's going to go and play in the Olympics rather than have a pre-season with Arsenal, how is he meant to prove himself? You know, Arsenal are not obliged to let him, uh, you know, to are not obliged to allow him to play in the Olympics. 
but they're doing so and to our knowledge at the moment and if they're doing so that suggests that they're not really that fast whether he comes back um you know or, or not simple as that let's quickly uh pick up a couple of comments on that saliba thing because i know a lot of you got strong feelings on that marble halls tv says we spent 27 million on an 18 year old a lot of hype we don't know how good he is but it shows how fucked up our decisions are yeah agreed um BX Gunner says we can't let him leave without playing. And this is coming down to Arteta not fighting to have him in the team. F Arteta's ego. Um, Grief Hampton says facts, although don't think anyone has actually said Saliba won't play. Um, Sky's the limit says, so if Arteta wanted to get rid of Pepe, that would be okay too. Well, the point is that when Pepe wasn't showing you know, what he's capable of. When Pepe was in and out of the side and not playing very well, nobody was really, nobody was saying, well, Mikel has to select him because we paid £72 million. They were saying he shouldn't play based on merit. And I think as fans, yes, you know, we can look at the impact spending a big amount of money on a player has um, on the club and any future business that they're able to do, et cetera, et cetera. But what you can't do is, is, hold a manager um, sort of accountable for the poor business that was done prior to his arrival. You can't force him to pick people because of what happened previously. You know, Chelsea are a classic case of a club who have done this loads of times, spent big money on players, hasn't really worked out. And then a new manager's come in and they've become peripheral figures. And I know Chelsea are in a different situation and Chelsea can almost essentially afford to waste that money. But what I'm saying is Chelsea didn't bring Thomas Tuchel in and tell him that he had to play some of the players that Frank Lampard brought in. You know, it just so happens that actually Thomas Tuchel came in and completely changed the team around. Frank, you know, you know, managers will, will go with the players that they like and they cannot be uh, bullied into picking people, in my opinion, based on the investment that the club made in, in those particular players prior to them even arriving. I think if you want to set up like that, you're setting up to fail. It's a dangerous precedent to set. And um, and I don't want to see Arsenal running in that way. Before we go on to the Q&A, because there's plenty of questions, so I want to leave as much time for that as I possibly can. I put a poll out yesterday because we talked at length about the potential of Ben White arriving at the club. We discussed it in great detail. And I put a poll up yesterday uh, following the news that Arsenal had um, made progress in the negotiations for Ben White, asking you guys whether or not you think that Arsenal were overpaying for Ben White. So here's the poll on the screen for those of you watching us uh, via the uh, videos. And uh, of course, for those of you listening, don't worry, um, I'm going to give you the figures as well. So I asked the question, is £50 million too much for Ben White? 62.4% of you said yes, 37.6% of you said no. And that was based on 756 votes. So it's a pretty big sample size. As I say, 62.4% say that £50 million is too much for Ben White. And just 37.6% of you say it's not too much. I think you can think it's too much, but also accept that there's that British tax on the top of it which makes it uh, makes it even worse. But let's see. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's get the deal over the line and then we can assess maybe in 12, 18 months time whether or not £50 million was a fair 
figure uh, for Ben White. Uh, but of course, you know, deal's not done yet. So let's chill out on that one for now. Let me pick out a few questions and let's start off with some Twitter questions uh, because there have been a few uh, interesting ones that I want to address. Just a quick reminder as well, if you are a uh, gold member or above on the channel, there is a new members video out which you can catch. I was joined by well-known Italian football journalist Carlo Garganese to talk about Manuel Locatelli, a player that Arsenal have been linked with this summer. And uh, we talked about Italy's chances at the European Championship. So uh, Carlo providing plenty of good analysis and insight, as always. Uh, he's a great guy, a great friend as well. Uh, so click on that video. If you're not a member already and you want to become one, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description and signing up. So uh, check it out. New members content dropped today. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's go to those Twitter questions. Hold on. Where are we? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, there we go. Got some on here and we'll pick some out from some other places as well. Uh, the Indian Guna says, uh, are you worried about the moves other teams are making? I feel like with City potentially signing Grealish and Kane, Chelsea possibly signing Haaland and United getting Sancho. I feel like we are struggling to close an ever-growing gap. Yeah, it's a bit of a concern. Um, it is a bit of a concern, but don't be, what I would say is don't be too sort of obsessed with what other clubs are doing and don't be too obsessed with, um, you know, the, the money that they're spending and the players that they're signing because we've seen clubs in this division spend big money in the past and not necessarily achieve their objectives, not necessarily achieve their goals. So, on that basis, yeah, of course, you know, you look at them and you you want to close the gap on them. You see them as the benchmark and you almost think to yourself, well, how is it ever possible that we're going to catch up to these sides when they have the spending power and the ability to go in and bring some of the world's best footballers to their club each and every summer? But, you know, I think you just got to focus on Arsenal for now. I think you've got to, um, you've got to look at this Arsenal side and identify what needs doing, what needs improving. And, you know, you've got to rely on, on some of the homegrown talent. You've got to rely on some of the players that we're taking a bit of a punt on coming good. And listen, Arsenal getting into the top four from where we are now would be a huge achievement. And, you know, we've seen it every single season. If it's not Arsenal having a drop off, it's Tottenham. If it's not Tottenham, uh, you might get Liverpool dropping off. You might get Leicester dropping off. You might get Chelsea dropping off. So much can happen in football. So much can change in football. So all I will say is do not stress uh, too much about what everybody else is doing. Let's focus on ourselves, um, get the business done that will improve us, and then we can move forward. Only then uh, we can move forward. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Rahul says, would you like to see Donny van der Beek at Arsenal? I would. He's class and can be a perfect metronome to our side. Would love your views on it. Um, I like Donny van der Beek, but look, the reality is Manchester United are never going to sell him to us. Arsenal are never going to cough up the money for Donny van der Beek that would allow or, or that would persuade Manchester United to part ways with him, especially to let him uh, join Arsenal. I actually still think, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, that Donny van der Beek does have a future at Manchester United. I do think that you know, from kind of some of the reports I've been reading over the last week or so, that there's a, a really relaxed feeling within Donny van der Beek's camp that he will get his opportunity at Old Trafford. You know, and, and to be honest, after what happened in the Europa League final, you know, I'm not sure that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to outstay um, Donny van der Beek, you know, so that'd be interesting as well. Um, and, and a new manager might love him. 
So uh, I, I can't see it happening. I like the player, but I don't think he's coming to Arsenal and, and I just can't see it. Uh, Stephen Oliver says, not to sound negative, but what are your minimum expectations for the upcoming season? And given the transfer rumours and potential backing of Mikel, how long do you give him before the pressure starts to build? So, Stephen, for me, the pressure is on Mikel Arteta from the minute we kick off at Brentford on Friday, the 13th of August, because of how poorly um, we performed last season. You know, you can't, you can't, on the one hand, as a manager, go to the board and, and kind of make excuses and and demand that you're allowed to spend and demand that you're given the resources you feel you need to improve the team and then not deliver off the back of that. Arsenal's far too big of a football club for this guy to get a free ride for another season. I was prepared to give him a free ride last season, but I'm not prepared to do that anymore. I'm not prepared to go um, to do that going forward. So for me, the pressure's on from the very beginning. A minimum expectation for me, and I'm realistic, you know, I don't expect Arsenal to just waltz into the top four next season, um, batting away all of the competition. But what I do expect is Arsenal to be challenging for the top four. And I mean properly challenging. I mean, I want to see Arsenal in the race for the top four going into the last few weeks of the season. I don't want to see Arsenal out of it by November. I don't want to see Arsenal out of it by January. I want to see Arsenal in the race for UEFA Champions League football right until the bitter end. And look, there's no reason why we shouldn't go on a cup run as well, because, you know, without European football, um, it should be possible. Uh, Kafu Callum, love the name, says that with the signing of Ben White and possibly Lekonga being wrapped up soon for potentially 65 to 70 million pounds, who do you think will be our next targets? Do you think it will be Kamavinga, Madison or someone else? Well, I think... Ben White is obviously a goer. It seems like that's going to happen. Lokonga, I got the feeling that that one's going to be completed too. But I still think we need another central midfielder that will be ready to come into the team right away, particularly if Granit Xhaka is Roma bound. Lokonga is a great prospect, but I would question whether he's ready to walk straight into the side now. And so I'd be looking at Ruben Neves. I, I, I like the player. And I actually think the Wolves will probably accept less than what was originally uh, quoted, which was around about the £30 million mark. But it does go to show, you know, that we talk a lot about how, we, well, we've talked a lot about getting rid of this player, getting rid of that player, bringing in this player and how easy it should all be in theory. This is not football manager. And in order to acquire your targets, first of all, um, people need to be willing to sell them. Uh, you need to be able to match the price that would convince that club to subsequently sell them. So there's a lot of factors in all of this. Kamavinga is a player a lot of Arsenal fans are, are quite big on. Not a player I know a massive amount about, but if I could choose one midfielder that I would go for, and that, that would be Manuel Locatelli. It's not going to be easy. There will be competition from the likes of Juventus. Um, but I believe that Arsenal, if we're, you know, to go by all of these reports and what we're seeing so far in terms of bids, are in a position to challenge Juventus financially? Can we challenge them from a sporting perspective? And is that enough, the, uh, the financial perspective, I mean, to, to to persuade Locatelli to leave Italy, which a lot of Italian-based players don't really like doing uh, to come to London? That's the big question. But he would be my number one uh, midfield player, him and, uh, and Ruben Neves. Uh, Sam says, what ingredients do you use when you make your souvlaki? Well, if I make a nice pork souvlaki, I just use a bit of uh, olive oil, touch of oregano, salt and pepper, uh, Cypress style. There you go. Um, 
Chrissy says, uh, anything on Rob Holding or Callum Chambers? Are they staying or leaving? Both of them are staying, to my understanding. As I said a little bit earlier on, there were reports that Rob Holding could um, could uh, could end up uh, going uh, going this summer and could be somebody that Arsenal look to move on. But I think those reports are false. And I think that Rob Holding, um, as was reported by Chris Wheatley, is someone seen as part of the leadership group and will remain an Arsenal player. Brad says, why does agreeing transfer fees take so long and why wait a few days before they go back in with an improved bid? There's a lot of legal stuff that needs to go on uh, with regards to all of this. You know, formal offers need to be submitted and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I think, you know, no big negotiation and and they are, you know, they may not seem like big negotiations as a football fan, but you're talking about deals involving millions and millions of pounds, sometimes tens of million um, sort of pounds. It, it's not a, a negotiation that gets done sort of overnight. So I do think that Arsenal fans need to be a little bit patient. I think all football fans need to be a little bit patient. It's always like, well, why don't you just give them the money that you need to give them? You have to, you have to be able to source that money. You have to be able to release that money. You have to be able to finance the deal. I guess you have to probably prove that you can finance that deal before any agreements are, are drawn up. And then, you know, there's probably so much legal stuff off the back of it that we just don't know about and are not aware of. So um, that's why it takes longer. It's not like football manager where you just click a couple of buttons and you submitted the bid. Um, she knows Arsenal. Big shout out to Jess. Make sure you head over and check out Jess's channel. Uh, it says, what does Arteta need to improve on as a manager for next season? He's a big part of the puzzle. And although transfers are important, he has to be able to get the best out of the players. I think that Mikel Arteta will have learned a hell of a lot from last season. It was a painful, difficult season, but I think he would have learned a lot. I think he would have learned a lot about himself. I think he would have learned a lot about some of his players, um, about tactics, about game management. I think where Mikel Arteta probably needs to improve for me is in his man management, is in his ability um, for me to be able to kind of... I'm not saying go soft on your principles. I'm not saying go easy on your principles. What I'm saying is you need to be able to adapt your approach and, and communicate differently so that you're effective in reaching all corners of the dressing room in getting everybody to, to buy in. You know, some players need an arm around them. Some players need a rattling. Some players need encouragement and they need gentle encouragement, gentle criticism. Some need the boot thrown at them. There's, there's, you know, there's different characters in a football dressing room. And I actually think that what Mikel Arteta has probably done and, and probably done wrongly, and maybe, you know, this is something he's taken from Pep Guardiola, is had a blanket approach and just kind of tried to throw it over everybody and hope that it, it lands. The difference with Pep Guardiola, and I say he's picked this up from Pep Guardiola, is that when you are Pep Guardiola, and when I say that, I mean a manager who's won it all, who is regarded by many people as one of the greatest managers of all time, you have that clout. You can be like very much, it's my way or the highway. And people, even if they're not quite sure on your approach, and even if they don't necessarily always agree with it, will get on board because of what you've done previously. They'll look at it and go, well, I don't agree with this, but he has one X, Y, Z. And so for that reason, I'll just get on board with it. So that's that's the thing for me. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing for me. I think man management is key. I think tactically, I don't even think Mikel Arteta is bad tactically. 
I know a lot of fans give him shit about his substitutions, which I think is is weird. Um, you know, I think some of the substitutions make you raise an eyebrow, but I'm always reluctant to criticise substitutions because we don't always know the full story. We don't know if a player has gone into a game at 75% in terms of his conditioning. We don't know if a player has passed on the message at halftime that he's got a problem and he may not be able to make the, the, the entire 90 minutes. And then sometimes we can look at a substitution not knowing the full story and go, well, why on earth has he bloody done that? This is the problem uh, with, with being football fans. As I say, we don't know the full picture. We don't know the full story. Substitutions for me are not the biggest issue with Mikel Arteta. I know a lot of people feel that they are, but for me, they're not. Uh, that's the questions from Twitter. Get some in the live chat as well. We'll go for around about another 15 uh, minutes or so. Uh, so keep loading up the chat box uh, with your questions. Let me pick up this one from Twitter. One more that's just come through. Whilst you guys uh, load up the chat box, remember to put a cue at the beginning. And uh, remember as well, if you haven't done so already, to hit that like button on the video. It really, really helps. Let me just quickly uh, have a look at where we are in terms of uh, likes. We've got over 120 of you watching us right now on YouTube. We've only got 31 likes. Let's get that up to about 60, 65 as soon as possible. It really, really does help. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where was that question that I just had? Here we go. Uh, we are early in the window, but creating chances and scoring goals has been the issue since Arsene left. Do you think we're addressing it by being linked with the right positions or players? This one comes from Mix. Um, I think why we've seen us struggle in the attacking third post Arsene Wenger is, is first of all, both Unai Emery at various points in his Arsenal tenure and Mikel Arteta have looked at that team prior to taking it over and said, well, what's the biggest problem here? And the biggest problem was defensively. And in their efforts to, to make us a more solid outfit, in their efforts to prevent us leaking goals as frequently as we did in years gone by, they've probably gone a little bit too far the other way in terms of the pragmatism. In order to be an effective attacking unit, you need to take the shackles off of people. You need to have a structure up until a certain point. And in my opinion, that structure should be your back four and your two defensive midfield players. But then moving further forward, you need to be able to say to people, you can be fluid in your positioning. You can interchange. You can swap positions. You can run channels. You can run in behind. You can drop deep. You can do whatever you want. Only freedom for me in a football team breeds creativity. Creativity is something that needs to be in the right habitat to thrive. You know, it's like a plant will grow in the soil, but it won't grow on the concrete. If you don't put it in the right environment, it, it, it won't flourish, it won't grow and it won't become something. And that is how I feel when I look at Arsenal's front players. A lot of them, for me, are just screaming out for a little bit more freedom in terms of their positioning. You know, you bomb the fullbacks on, but that means that sort of, defensive midfield players or whatever have to backfill those spaces and that's that's cool I think Mikel Arteta is is closer to finding the balance than or was closer to finding the balance in the second half of the season than he was at the beginning I think you know he will find it easier to find that balance when he has better players at his disposal so better better midfielders more mobile midfielders mean 
you can leave them that little bit more exposed than you could have left Granite Xhaka, for example, and it won't be as big of an issue. So I think better players obviously equal better results, obviously equal better performances. But, you know, Chris says this in the chat, and I think this is fair, overcoached. And, and I do think to a degree that is something that, that Mikel Arteta has been a little bit guilty of, overcoaching. I think I was I was really lucky to have been in the stadium on a few occasions during the lockdown. And what I found fascinating about that experience was that being in the press box directly behind the dugout, you could hear every word that Mikel Arteta was telling to his players. You could understand every instruction. You could hear every sort of bit of guidance and you'd never hear that in a full stadium. You just never would. It'd never come through to you. It'd never filter through to you. And one of the things I found was Mikel Arteta will be standing on the touchline and he'll say, he'll call a player. He'll tell him to pass it. And then when we lose the ball, he'll look at one player, call him out, tell him to press. Then he'll move to the next player and he's already directing him and orchestrating where he goes and where the next guy goes. on. And that for me is good from a defensive standpoint. That kind of structure from a defensive point of view is, is really important. But then it's very hard to go from being that rigid in everything you do and that specific in everything you do to then switching to this more free style of play when you've got the ball at your feet. And that's where Arsenal are having a problem now. It's not just the flick of a switch. There has to be a middle ground with regards to that philosophy and that middle ground will help breed that creativity that we've been missing. Um, so I'm not really sure necessarily that it's about the players. It's more about the style of play and I think an overcompensation from the manager in terms of trying to make us that little bit more defensively solid. Uh, let's go over to the chat box. Um, I'm going to pick out a few questions. Uh, BVB09 says that with the £250 million bucket rumours, bucket, I like that, how many signings are realistic, assuming Xhaka and Bellerin leave? I think you can be looking at four to five signings. And I'd rather it was four to five good quality signings than six or seven, um, with where some of them you're kind of looking at them again, not really sure about that one. So, you know, four or five good signings, even if it's four, if they're of the highest quality or, or the highest quality that is attainable, if you like, for Arsenal, then I'm happy with that. Uh, Zeus says, who's the most realistic right back transfer target right now? This one's interesting, Zeus, because if you had asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said we'll be looking at somebody like Zeki Celik, uh, Turkish international, who I was not impressed with, by the way, when I saw him at the Euros. I, I hadn't seen him play for Lille, uh, but there was a lot, of, apart from maybe one or two games, but there was a lot of noise around him. And I used the Euros as an opportunity to look at him. And I know, listen, Turkey as a unit were awful. And I don't think you can pin that on Zeki Celik, but... He didn't really convince me, but I guess part of my thinking in that one was, well, he's somebody who's available at a reasonably low price. And that's the kind of budget that Arsenal are going to be working with. But in the last few days, I've, I've gained this bit of confidence and it's not guaranteed. It never is with Arsenal, but I do feel a lot more confident about the level of investment Arsenal are prepared to make this summer. And so why can't it be a Max Aaron's? Uh, why can't it be a, a Tarek Lamptey. The issue here is that, you know, you've got Callum Chambers, you've got Cedric at the club. I'm not saying Cedric's the answer in the long term, but Cedric as a right back is is fine. Um, you know, he had a few issues when he switched over to left back, but that was a very difficult change to make, I thought. Um, 
so yeah um max aaron's Tarek lamty why not why not aim high aim high uh brad says what's your thoughts on arsenal potentially about to trigger alexander isak's release clause i really like what i've seen of it, seen of him at the euros i always say this but i don't watch a great deal of spanish football anymore so i can't tell you um you know i can't tell you what what he's been like over the course of the season i know his numbers uh, were pretty impressive in fact let me bring them up now uh, we'll just have a quick uh, look but yeah he's a player who in my opinion has as good feet um obviously knows where the goal is uh, based on sort of the way he's performed he's just 21 years old so the kind of world is at his feet uh, la liga last season 34 appearances 17 goals which is really impressive for real sociedad named man of the match on six occasions and he had an average performance rating, according to whoscored.com, of 7.03 out of 10, which is pretty impressive to average at 21 years old in one of Europe's top leagues. A 7 out of 10 performance every week, I think, is really good. Um, yeah, I, I'd be interested in Alexander Isak. I love that. There was a couple of runs he went on uh, in the group stages of the European Championships where he seemed to kind of get past players not even particularly quickly, but he just has this really big frame and big figure, but also a real kind of quality on the ball and, and a real composure on the ball. Really good, close control, really skillful. And I like the look of him. I do. There's going to be a lot of teams in the running for him, though. And, you know, I'd love to see Arsenal just go, here you go, slap the money on the table and trigger that release clause. But it's going to be difficult. It really, really is. Um what else have we got here? Uh, Kurt says, do you think when the crowds come back and the team can't hear the instructions from the touchline, that will help the freedom in attack? No, because I think if it's worked on so much on the training ground, I think it becomes second nature to the players, doesn't it? I, I, I don't, you know, I made that point because I do think that we are a little bit overcoached, but I don't see it as such a big issue that, you know, it's something that needs to stop or it's something that, that, you know, we need to, as fans, drown out, if you like it. For me, I think when that defensive structure is there and when that defensive structure is understood and, you know, applied as, as best as possible, then it begins to come as a second nature and then you can focus more on the attack inside of the game. But I don't think Mikel Arteta was wrong to prioritise steadying the ship when he took over the job. Now it's about, though, going on to that next step. And now's the big challenge uh, for Mikel Arteta, for sure. Um, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. It really, really does help for those of you watching us on YouTube. We're marching towards 14,000 subscribers as well. I'd love to get there as soon as possible. I think we're about 250 away at the moment. Uh, so if you are new to the channel, please do hit the like button. It really, really does help. Uh, and subscribe, sorry, I meant. Um, in terms of likes, we've got 41 on the board at the moment, but we want to get up to uh, at least 75. There's 140 of you watching, so it should be achievable. Uh, just a quick reminder that if you are a gold member or above, you can check out our brand new bit of members content, uh, which will, uh, which is a, a discussion about Manuel Locatelli, as well as Italy's chances at Euro 2020 with the brilliant Carlo Garganese, well-renowned Italian football journalist. Um, also, a couple of other bits and pieces. We've got a few really good guests lined up for you guys next week. So stay tuned uh, to our Twitter feed and to the channel, the community tab, for more information on that. 
Um, we're also going to be bringing you our first watch along of the European Championships. And that watch along uh, is the game between Wales and Denmark tomorrow, UK time. That's Saturday, UK time. 5 p.m. kickoff will be live from 4.45 p.m. Lots of you have been asking for it. I did kind of just want to chill throughout the Euros. Uh, but for me, as a, as a commentator, I feel like I've got a little bit rusty over the summer. I haven't done a game since the last weekend of the Premier League. So for me, it'll be quite nice, even if it is a more sort of casual and relaxed commentary. It'll be nice for me. Uh, to do that as well. And I'll be watching the game anyway, so why not watch it in you guys' company? Uh, so come over and join me for that as well. That's exclusive to the YouTube channel. Uh, so I'd love to see uh, the audio, our audio listeners as well uh, come over to the YouTube channel, get subscribing and joining me for that as well. Right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, so Kieran Tierney has signed a long-term contract with the Arsenal. Some good news Finally, now let's uh, let's get some new players in through the door. I'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal and Euro 2020 related content. Until next time, take care of yourselves and enjoy your Friday night. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.